Hello, and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. All month long, we're going in-depth to learn the science behind different medical conditions. Today, we're learning about how HIV and AIDS work. Joining us is Dr. Ann Kalsa. She is the medical director at Valleywise Community Health Center, McDowell, and has dedicated her career to helping people with HIV. Dr. Kalsa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. White. Dr. Kalsa, how long have you been working in this area around treating patients with HIV and the associated conditions? Like you said, I've spent my whole career, and it's been since the late 1980s when I was in medical training. Wonderful. How did you get involved in the HIV community? So my medical training was in the 80s, and that's when the AIDS epidemic was just starting, and I did my training in Los Angeles where there were lots of cases. So by default, I just ended up getting all the patients. And when I finished all my training, I wanted to go into teaching and academia. I went back to USC, and it so happened the only job available or the one that was offered was in HIV teaching. So my first 15 years, I was part of the AIDS Education Training Center program, which is a federally funded program to increase the number of providers. So during that time, I probably trained over a thousand different providers to do HIV primary care. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's wonderful to add those types of individuals into our community that are really able to service this special needs population, you know, with this. You know, we've talked, you know, we've said two words here. We've talked about HIV and AIDS. What is HIV and AIDS, and how are they different, and are they the same? So HIV is just the name of the virus, human immunodeficiency virus, and it's really just a patient being infected with HIV, and then we use the shorthand just saying this person has HIV, it just means they have the infection. AIDS is simply the advanced end stage of HIV disease. So everyone with AIDS has HIV, most people who are now infected with HIV never progress to full-blown AIDS. It's wonderful, you know, for us that have been in this for quite some time and truly have seen that continuum of patient. Really, HIV, in back in the 80s, when, when we first discovered this virus, it really was. We didn't have a lot to offer, and we saw many individuals progress to that end stage or AIDS. And today, I think, you know, as we'll talk about, we truly have seen remarkable advances in this space, and even more coming if you see what's in the, you know, in the media here just in the recent weeks. So what What is the history of HIV and where did it come from and how we saw it here within the United States? So HIV is kind of similar to coronavirus in that it's a virus that actually comes from animals. And it's been very conclusively shown genetically through uh, that kind of laboratory science that this virus comes from fellow primates, chimpanzees or apes. And it's actually been in the human population since around the 20s or 30s. There are some old autopsy specimens from a sailor in Britain who had traveled to Africa and had HIV. People know that HIV is a sexually transmitted infection. It's really a blood-borne virus. So it's not that humans ever had sex with, with primates. It's that just like Americans in North America will hunt deer and rabbit and whatever. They hunt apes and chimpanzees in the wild because that's their bush meat. And if they had cuts on their hands and they were slaughtering an animal, it was blood to blood. And the only reason it really took off around the world was airplane travel. Airplane travel and the sexual revolution where there was a lot more STDs going around and it could jump the continents. And in fact, in Africa, it's mostly a heterosexual disease. 
It's just an STD. And the only reason it's so prominent in the gay community is, again, historical timelines of the sexual revolution. And without needing to worry about pregnancy, it just infiltrated the gay population more predominantly in the U.S. and in Western Europe or in Africa. It's just an STD. And as the bus routes went up and down the continent, the guys would have a partner in different cities, different bus stops, and it's a heterosexual disease. There's more women with HIV in Africa than there are men. And really that is, you know, how this virus is spread, is through that bodily fluid contact, which is different than what we're seeing today with the coronavirus, which is around that. So to your point, it is truly that often sexual transmission around Mm -hmm. it. Really rare to get it in any other way. Isn't that correct? That's totally correct. And in fact, you can't get it from hugging. You can't get it from sharing a coffee cup. You can't get it from tears or a cough. It's blood or body fluids like in surgery or something or a spinal tap. Mm -hmm. How does HIV truly attack um, a person's immune system? So HIV is a super simple little virus that cannot reproduce on its own. doesn't have the machinery. So it actually has to invade cells in our body and cause that cell to turn on its machinery to reproduce the virus so it can live. Because an individual virus only lives a day to day and a half. So from the time a virus infects a new cell to makes new babies, that's a day and a half. But it does so by infecting cells that contain a CD4 receptor. And the CD4 receptor happens to be our immune system cells. And so in the process of reproducing the virus, the CD4 immune system cell dies off and thereby your immune system gets depleted. Wow, truly amazing of how this virus has changed to be able to infect that specific cell through that specific marker mm-hmm. and have such a profound effect on humans and, and our immunity. If you're just tuning in, we're talking all about the science behind HIV and AIDS. So is this condition really considered a pandemic or an epidemic. You know, we're hearing those terms, right. you know, synonymously today with the coronavirus. How does HIV fit into those terminologies and what's the difference? So, epidemic means an outbreak of disease in a local area like within a county or a state or even a country. Pandemic it crosses continents. Means it's worldwide. And yes, HIV is definitely a pandemic. How long does it really take for HIV symptoms to appear in somebody that may have been infected um, with this virus? So historically, we used to say you could have HIV for a decade and never know it. And many patients, in fact, will go from initial infection where you might get symptoms for a couple of weeks. That's called acute infection. And then your immune system and the virus kind of reach an equilibrium, and you can go for a long time before finally the virus wins and your immune system declines and you get symptoms of AIDS. On average, that's plus or minus 10 years, but we have always known that there is a subset, a a subgroup of patients who can progress within a year or two or three, and we are seeing a few more of those, a higher percentage of those, of people coming in, they get tested every six to 12 months, negative, 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 suddenly they come in, they're HIV infected, we follow them, and they're full-blown AIDS within a year. So if you think you've had unprotected contact with anyone, you really need to get tested because, again, we can prevent you from going to immune deficiency 
if we treat you soon. How does this virus affect an overall person's health? So we've talked a little bit about some of those phases here in that early infection. How does it affect someone's overall health and other problems that they may have if they're infected with HIV, irrespective of their immune status, of their immunity. So aside from the immune deficiency and risk for some really weird infections, pneumonias and stuff, the other thing that HIV does is even though our medicines will suppress the virus, the immune system is still called to help control the infection which means the immune system is chronically activated, which leads to accelerated aging. So by a very similar mechanism, in fact, an analogous mechanism chemically, of how diabetics tend to age more quickly and be at higher risk for heart attacks and the like, it's the exact same thing with HIV. So when I first started doing this in the 80s and 90s, you know, I was treating pneumonia and meningitis and attending, unfortunately, memorial services. I haven't been to a memorial service or funeral in in years because that's not what I'm seeing. But now all my people who were infected in their 20s and 30s and they're now in their 50s and 60s like their providers, they've got more arthritis than we do. So I'm seeing premature arthritis to the level of needing spinal fusions, pinched nerves and the like, increased diabetes, heart attacks, hypertension, strokes, cancers in their 50s and 60s rather than their 60s and 70s. So truly, you know, again, a disease really of, of inflammation and, and aging as, as, totally you, inflammation. as you as you're talking about, you know, yep. in these. You know, with that, is there any difference that we have in somebody's biologic gender that they've been having? Is mm. there a difference between men and women and the symptoms that they have if they're infected with HIV? In terms of symptoms, they have no, except whatever we normally have that's different in terms of menopause versus andropause and our respective mm-hmm. cancers and the like. Early data showed that the absolute level of the virus in the blood or the initial immune system CD4 count between men and women, if you look at populations, they may have different set points or levels, but once everyone is on treatment, it's all the same. What are the stages of HIV? So we've talked a little bit early on about, you know, what we might see in somebody that's acutely infected for those Mm -hmm. two weeks. So obviously there's a progression here that Mm -hmm. we may be able to go through. So what are some of those stages that a patient might see Mm -hmm. if they're infected with HIV? So if someone has unprotected exposure to someone, unprotected condomless sex, only 50 to 80% of people will get those initial acute infection symptoms. And it's kind of like the flu, but it's not respiratory. So it's not like COVID. Um, You're not going to have a cough and you're not going to lose smell and taste. You might get a sore throat. You might get a fever. You might get a rash. May last a couple of weeks. It goes away. After that, most people will be without any symptoms for years. They may notice some swollen lymph nodes. As their immune system declines, they may notice increase candida infections, which can either be vaginal or oral and throat. So that would be during that asymptomatic going into symptoms. And then of course, more advanced, you can get all kinds of weight loss, fevers, night sweats, pneumonias, meningitis, all kinds of things at the end stage. Dr. Colson, one of the early things that you talked about was the need for testing. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, certainly the, the emphasis we have on testing, if somebody has had risk behaviors that may lead them to be infected with HIV, how do we test for HIV? And what are some of the options that are available? So the means to test are basically we're looking for antibodies or presence of virus. And you can do oral swabs, you can do finger pricks, you can do blood draws. 
And sometimes those tests, we can do a preliminary screening in as little as one minute, and we can do an accurate confirmatory test in as little as 20 minutes. And I'm pleased to say across Valley Wise, we actually are doing opt-out testing for everybody, meaning it's available. And opt-out means I would say to you, Dr. White, welcome to coming into your visit today. I see that you've not yet ever done an HIV test. We're recommending it for all adults. And would you like to do that today? We can get your result in a minute or 20 minutes. And the good news is if you in fact test positive, we can get you on treatment and prevent you from ever having to progress to AIDS. And thereby you will never die of AIDS you'll be healthy and living with just HIV. So, you know, that's a great segue. So what are those first steps? If, you know, we test someone, we discover that they are HIV positive, what are those next steps to begin that treatment so we don't get into the full-blown AIDS or some of those debilitating things that we used to see 10, 15 years ago? Absolutely. The current goal of treatment is what we call rapid start. And this is actually an international recommendation that the goal is to get everyone who has been diagnosed within five days onto treatment. And treatment nowadays is as simple as one pill once a day, no food requirements, minimal side effects, maybe a little nausea or headache for a couple weeks. It's easy, easy, but they're completely effective. So the goal is rapid start treatment. So the first step, if you think, oh my God, maybe I've ever had unprotected sex. I mean, who hasn't had sex without a condom at some point in our lives? I mean, everyone's going to raise their hand. Get a test. If you've had risks within the last three weeks, you need to be retested again after three weeks. If your, your risk behavior was longer than three weeks ago and you're negative now, and now you start using prevention, which we'll talk about, but if you're negative, we can, we can prevent it. If you're positive, then we want to get you into treatment. And even if you don't have insurance, because we want to prevent the spread of HIV in the community, we have resources, federal resources, that will pay for treatment for everybody. So if you get tested positive, give us a call. We can get you connected with financial resources and we can get you on treatment immediately and we can get you referred to the specialist of your choice, either us or or other clinics, and get you on treatment and keep you safe. And you can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. So how does the treatment work? What medications are used and how does this medication help us slow down or stop again the progression of HIV? Again, people don't die of HIV. They die of the complications from a low immune system. So the treatment is to prevent the immune system going down by stopping the virus from reproducing in the immune cells, which leads to depletion of those cells. So the medication is essentially viral birth control. It literally, and we prevent it at several different steps. It's kind of like saying to prevent pregnancy, you've got to do at least a condom and a diaphragm and the pill has to be triple. So our medicines are always triple birth control in a single pill. So three medications combined in one pill once a day prevents the virus from reproducing and therefore the immune system cells do not decline and if they've been low already they will come back up and you can stay safe and healthy. The other thing, and I don't remember if it's a question you're going to ask, but I'm going to say it anyway, 
We now know that if a person's viral load is undetectable, meaning suppressed on medication, they can't transmit. It's wonderful. You know, you and I have talked a lot as we've gone through this discussion here is these are revolutionary treatments. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about early in this pandemic of Mm -hmm. HIV, the conditions we used to see that we're not seeing now. How has the treatment of HIV changed in the last 15 to 20 years since we've been involved in treating these patients? Absolutely. So the first eight years of HIV treatment, we sequenced through medicines and we stalled things by six months, but patients still always progressed. Starting in 96, we learned to do triple cocktail therapy. But back then, it was usually three times a day with hands full of pills each time and tons of side effects. Wasn't pretty. Then a decade later, 2007, 2008, we got down to three medicines in a single pill. But based on how we sequenced them, we used to see a lot of resistance and we ended up having to still go to multiple pills multiple times a day. Now for the past three, four, five years, we're down to one pill once a day with all the medicines in it not developing resistance. So it's become super effective and super easy and very well tolerated. And truly been a game changer in this space for those individuals that treat this as you do for their Mm -hmm. careers. This has truly been one of those things that it's been transformational in the way we care. You know, and this has been one transformation. Are there any new advancements that are yet on the horizon for treatment of HIV? Absolutely. One that I'm going to emphasize again, and then I'll answer your question. Again, there's this thing called U equals U, which is undetectable, suppressed viruses, untransmittable. We used to say condoms forever. Yes, you need to use protection against STDs, but if you have a partner who's HIV positive and undetectable on meds and taking their meds consistently, they will not transmit. So I have kids in their kids, sorry, I'm old enough, in their 20s, born with HIV themselves, now having negative partners and children of their own simply by taking their medicine every day. Now, it is still a pill a day. So the new medicines that we're looking at are injectable or implantable. So kind of like the Norplant for birth control, we are currently in later stages of studies of doing the same long-acting medication that's effective as an implant, and you come and get that changed every so many months or years. Now, that's a couple years away. We do now have large injections, so for those who really don't want to take pills but they're willing to do a big shot, we can do that every one to three months depending on the study, and that's it. That's all your treatment. No pills every day. We're also doing, looking at some exciting new meds that are like a little insulin shot, but only every six months. That's going to be a game changer. Always we wonder as clinicians that prescribe medications, you know, we can only do so much. You know, it's really that patient to have to be able to remember to take it. And, 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 And to your earlier comments, and especially in this type of disease, consistency matters because if we start to fall down, that's when we start to see some of these, you know, resistance and so the virus starts to change and we don't see these drugs be effective. You know, one of the more interesting things that we continue to hear about is, are we going to see a vaccine against Mm -hmm. HIV utilizing some of these new technologies that we saw with COVID vaccines? Many people are drawing those parallels today. Mm -hmm. Where do we see that as a potential in this space? So that's a fascinating question, and we have a big science conference every year, and it just happened uh, in March, and half of the presentations this year were about COVID, 
because of the parallels between HIV and COVID. And what's fascinating is a lot of the rapidity, uh, speed with which the COVID vaccines were able to be developed is because we have spent the last 40 years trying to leverage science to develop vaccines for HIV. And because we've had a lot of learning that's gone on, that's what brought us to be able to develop the COVID vaccine so quickly. But a fascinating comparison between them is the mutations, the variants that we're hearing about with COVID. Luckily, COVID mutates and changes very slowly compared to HIV. HIV untreated is making one to 10 billion new viral particles daily and one third of them are mutated. And that what happens then is that the surface of the virus, I promise I won't get too geeky, the surface of the virus of HIV against which an antibody from a vaccine must bind by recognizing an unchanging portion on the surface of the virus, there are no unchanging areas on HIV. HIV changes constantly. And because of that very high mutation rate, We've never yet found a vaccine that will work in HIV. We're hoping someday to do so, but it's going to be a combination of multiple vaccines. And it's been 40 years and we're not there yet. So don't know if we're going to get there. But again, truly the way we're able to treat this with medications now has truly been the game changer around that. You know, we've talked a little bit about HIV and, you know, the stigma that goes along with Mm -hmm. HIV. What are some of the common misconceptions that individuals have about this disease and about this virus? You're right. The bottom line limiting step to controlling the pandemic of HIV is stigma because We think of someone who has HIV as morally dirty, you know, oh my God, they've been sleeping around or they shoot up drugs or they're gay. It's just a body fluid contact disease. And the bottom line of all humans, we just want to be loved by someone. And yes, as adults, that often leads to sex. Oh, well, but you know, we have families, we have children, we've had sex. So we need to stop thinking of it as the other and just realize there, but for the grace of God, go any of us, you know? Uh, So you can get HIV with just common intimacy between married couples. Mm -hmm. So a common misconception is that it's only in the gay population. And again, that's just because that population was more sexually active when HIV hit this continent. In the... Communities of color, um, women don't realize they're at risk. They're in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship. They think everything's fine, and they may not realize that their partner with whom they are monogamous is not monogamous with them and may not be accepted as being gay or wanting to have sex with men, being attracted to other men, and they have sex with their female partner, but they're doing guys on the side. Mm -hmm. And so the women don't realize, and the guys are not empowered to act on who they want to be because it's not okay in their community to be with other men. So part of the stigma is not realizing that, you know, up to 10% of the population is attracted to the same gender. That's just a condition of some humans, and that's fine. But it doesn't allow them, therefore, to be safe 
They're not getting sex ed in the in their schools or at home or in their churches or in their communities. They don't know how to protect themselves. They don't know who to ask. They don't know when to get tested. And they don't know how to open up and have the discussion. Dr. Ann Kalsa, District Medical Group Provider at Valleywise Community Health Center McDowell. Thank you so much for your time today. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can join us anytime on our podcast at valleywisehealth.org slash be well.